you know, one last concept I'll share on, on decision fatigue, and that's that's the concept of uh, allostatic load. And allostatic load is, is really, it's the cost of the chronic exposure to the elevated or the repeated cognitive and physical and emotional demands um, and the repeated challenges that the, the leader experiences as stressful. Andre Simmons is the Director of Control Risks where he specializes in workplace violence prevention, threat management, and threat management crisis and security consulting. Prior to joining Control Risks, Andre was a supervisory special agent for the FBI where he worked at the Behavioral Analysis Unit, Behavioral Threat Assessment Center, and Critical Incident Response Group. And there is though an important caveat here that we should talk about. And this is where strong leaders really have to thread the needle because inappropriately high positivity with a message that's unrealistic can actually damage the credibility of the leader. And that of course can in turn damage workforce resilience Terry Patterson is a principal at Control Risks, specializing in threat assessment and case management. A psychologist and recently retired career executive and special agent with the FBI, Terry has over two decades of experience leading law enforcement operations, strategic programs, and critical incident preparedness. All that and much, much more on this special edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. Terry and Andre, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank thanks very much, us. Chuck, for having us. Today's topic is leadership in the COVID crisis and the importance of building personal resilience. I can think of no one better than Control Risk to bring us this worldview of the topic. So let's get started. What traits or skills are most beneficial when navigating the crisis? Because everybody needs to know this right now. This, this whole thing worldwide is unprecedented. Yeah, well, no doubt, Chuck. Uh, I think unprecedented, uh, surprising in many ways uh, by its longevity as it continues. I think we're seeing leaders challenged in ways that maybe they've never anticipated before. And so your question about, you know, what traits and skills can really guide you through a time like this, uh, I think is an important question. Uh, yeah, I had the opportunity within the FBI to see some great examples of leadership, but I'll tell you, um, I am a huge fan of Coach Tony Bennett of the University of Virginia's men's basketball team. Coach Bennett talks, though, about five traits of leaders that I think um, you know, while he's talking, of course, in the sports context, I just think there's real applicability to to what we're dealing with today. You know, the first that he talks about is humility. Um, that's a tough one in a corporate world that sometimes values, you know, that bold confidence and a spirit of self-reliance. Um, we've probably all seen very driven and ambitious leaders, though, who've also had the humility to recognize that sometimes they need help. Um, if we're going to survive this crisis in a, from a leadership perspective, we really can't go it alone. Um, leaders need to find and look for help from others, but that starts with that humble recognition um, that an organization can build collective strength and not just rely on one leader. So I think you have to have that humility. Really, it's a sign of emotional intelligence as well that drives uh, the development of the organizational strength. Coach Bennett talks about his second pillar is passion which is kind of the opposite of lukewarmness, I guess. Um, but in an existential crisis, you know, I think good leaders know how first to demonstrate that they, they really care about the well-being of their, the well-being of their employees uh, and the mission. And on both fronts, they're not afraid to show that they care. So, you know, we're living in, in as you mentioned, Chuck, such an upside down world right now. Uh, and employees are out of their comfort zones. The leader should be one that constantly reminds them not of all the dark clouds and uncertainty ahead, but really uh, the inspiration uh, and the zeal that they have for the people in the company. 
Uh, Coach Bennett's third pillar is, is that of unity. And, and uh, boy, this is a big one right now, isn't it? Particularly as many organizations are facing that really ugly issue of having to label employees in some cases as either essential or non-essential. Um, you know, both Terry and I as former supervisors in the federal government certainly had our share of living and leading through several government shutdowns. And, um, you know, let me tell you, it's a terrible, terrible conversation to have to have with someone uh, and sending them home from work because they've been labeled by the organization as non-essential. So from a perspective of unity, I think leaders need to repeat the mantra that we've heard throughout this crisis of we're in this together. Uh, Coach Bennett talks about uh, his fourth pillar is servanthood, and that maybe not maybe that's not the first trait you think of or what comes to mind when you think of a leadership in crisis um, moments. I, I tend to think of leadership in crisis oftentimes that maybe uh, kind of the cliche of there's the captain of the ship, you know, navigating through a storm and through a tempest. I, you know, we're in the third month now of this crisis, and that model just simply can't sustain. You know, if you want the crew to stay on board with you, I suppose, both literally and figuratively. Um, servanthood during a pandemic, I think, really means that that the leader sometimes is, is a caretaker or is a consoler um, and is the person who is maybe, you know, like that emotional uh, or psychological anchor and meets the needs of the employees through compassion and, and empathy. That could be really what's needed in that moment. Uh, and the last thing is thankfulness. Thankfulness, I think, you know, you, maybe you think what on earth do we have to be thankful about now during um, such dark times? I, I think leaders that I've seen who really uh, are successful in crisis do a, do a great job of, of actually doing just that, of recognizing points where we can be grateful. Uh, again, Terry and I have seen our share of crises, as many people in law enforcement have, where there's uh, just overwhelming tragedy and sadness and uh, you know, and everybody just feels like the, the light's been kind of squeezed out of them. And maybe maybe many of the listeners right now, Chuck, are feeling that same way because they're, they're struggling with health issues or they've lost a loved one or there's a mass layoff in their future. I think in the midst of all this, good leaders remember to be grateful for the work of their employees. They, they are thankful, you know, for the sacrifice that people make for the good of the company and maybe the good of the community. And they're thankful to have a team around them. Uh, they can really be counted on in, in times of crisis. I think a good leader recognizes that just like a community, an organization can become closer and even more effective and resilient as a result of, of a devastating crisis like this. So again, uh, Coach Bennett, for me, I think really hits it well. Humility, passion, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. I think those are roadmaps for leaders for dealing with this uh, pandemic today. So Terry, what I found in my leadership positions was that if there's a hint of lack of leadership, that creates a secondary crisis within an organization, which can be more detrimental than the crisis itself, really. So how do crisis leaders influence team resilience and employee wellness? How, how, do, you, how do you keep that team motivated to follow? It's really, it's a big component here. It is a big component, Chuck. And I think we should start by just defining resilience, because that's really what we're talking about here. We need team resilience and we need long-term resilience to see us through a crisis like, like we're experiencing now. So, you know, psychologists generally describe resilience as the ability to adapt well to adversity or stress. We think of it as the ability to bounce back after hitting bumps in the road, or in its highest form, even going beyond just bouncing back and experiencing you know, real professional or personal growth as a result of that adversity. 
And so we hear a lot about personal resilience at this time, and we should be thinking about personal and individual resilience. Um, certainly important for security leaders to consider. But those leaders also, of course, as you're alluding to, play an important role in promoting overall employee wellness and team resilience during a crisis like this. Um, so what leaders might do to build resilience in their team, there are a couple of things that, that I would point out. First, I think it's important to acknowledge the situation in an optimistic yet realistic manner. So positivity, positivity in general builds resilience. Um, it also builds confidence and the ability to overcome obstacles. And there is though an important caveat here that we should talk about. And this is where strong leaders really have to thread the needle, so to speak, because inappropriately high positivity with a message that's unrealistic can actually damage the credibility of the leader. And that, of course, can in turn damage workforce resilience. So the key takeaway is this, I think, the leader has to be positive in their attitude and in their communications with the workforce, but they also have to be very realistic about the ongoing crisis that we're experiencing. And then they also have to maintain focus on the mission, which may sound counterintuitive at a time when everyone is focused on um, the workforce and employee well-being, but maintaining a, a healthy, appropriate focus on the mission and the work will actually increase team resilience in times of crisis. We're not suggesting that leaders over-index on mission to the detriment, of course, of employee well-being, but maintaining a focus on the task at hand and driving toward a common goal as a team always helps to maintain a sense of professional purpose. And purpose, of course, whether it's individual or, or in a team environment, purpose builds resilience. And then, and then I think also a really important component that we probably don't talk about enough for a leader is to be connected and engaged with the team. So staying connected is such an important element to team resilience. Um, it's especially important for leaders who are shepherding a team through a crisis. As Andre mentioned, you know, in, in our years with the FBI, we saw some amazing things happen during crisis situations, both short and long-term. And the power of engaged leaders was never more evident than in these in trying times like a crisis. So I think regardless of the organization and the mission, it's leaders who are not only present, but really actively engaged who build resilience in the team. And then finally, leaders need to encourage the workforce to focus on wellness during the crisis and beyond. And this means getting enough rest. It means maintaining a nutritious diet. It means making time for physical as well as cognitive exercise, such as mindfulness, yoga, meditation. And individual wellness is important at every level of the organization during a crisis. We have to stress this. So leaders should focus on their own wellness in order to build resilience in the team. Mr. Andre, let's talk about decision fatigue, possibly a new phrase for our security lexicon, or at least it's moving up to the top of the list. If I make a hundred micro decisions every day during a normal course of business and I delegate and let people move forward with their work because I'm delegating decisions or approving them, that, that works. That makes the flow happen. But in a crisis, I might be the only guy that not only makes the decisions, but I have to implement some of them. And uh, you know, this creates decision fatigue. So how can security leaders address this before it really deteriorates in their own ability to respond. This could be very problematic. 
Oh, for sure, Chuck. And if you think about it too, right, your ability to make decisions in crisis is probably what helped you get that leadership position in the first place. And so there's some added pressure, I think, on that to say, I need to be the only one making the decisions. Uh, that's what real leaders do. And that's why I was hired into this position. Um, well, you obviously know, right? Stress and fatigue are going to impact different people in different ways. Um, some will obviously handle it better than others, and some will handle it better on certain days. Um, you know, certainly if you ask my family or coworkers, there are certain days that I'm better equipped to handle stress and make decisions than others. Um, what we're seeing now, I think, with COVID is this, you know, very profound convergence of both personal and professional stressors that are impacting the leader at the same time uh, that it's impacting nearly all layers of community and industry. So if you're constantly as a leader faced with making these difficult and sometimes you know, really excruciating choices that you know have the potential to uh, dramatically impact the lives of your employees and maybe the, the health and existence of your organization, uh, it can become exhausting. Uh, the decision fatigue that you mentioned, really, to define it, that is, is the idea, of course, that you know, your willpower, your ability to make uh, good quality choices, that starts to deteriorate uh, after you have an extended period time of critical decision making. And again, we're three months into this uh, pandemic now with, with certainly more uh, crucial decisions and critical decisions in the coming months. Uh, it's not a stretch to think that somebody is really going to be uh, making worse decisions as time goes on. Uh, now, if you start avoiding decisions, that's one method of coping with it. Uh, you know, I don't want to deal with this. Let's let somebody else do it. Or maybe if we wait long enough, the problem will go away. Uh, there's the poor decision making that comes from impulsivity, right? I'm just going to I'm just going to uh, do a quick, uh, almost instinctual choice here and let the chips fall where they may. That's not good either. Uh, if you don't take careful consideration of the consequences. I, I will say decision fatigue in leaders tends to be pretty apparent to uh, co-workers, families, uh, other employees, uh, as you know, they think, boy, that, that really just came out of left field. Where was that decision? Um, you know, your judgment, strategic thinking, even rationality can start to deteriorate and cloud those complex decisions that you feel you're responsible for making. Um, you know, one last concept I'll share on, on decision fatigue, and that's, that's the concept of uh, allostatic load. And allostatic load is, is really, it's the cost of the chronic exposure to the elevated or the repeated cognitive and physical and emotional demands um, and the repeated challenges that the, the leader experiences as stressful. And again, maybe, maybe they've developed a high resilience and a tolerance for allostatic load, and that's what got them into that leadership position in the first place. Uh, maybe you're deliberately engaging in strategies like Terry talked about to help you manage that allostatic load, deliberate downtime and disengagement, uh, leaning on your management team, as you talked about, Chuck, empowering them to make uh, other decisions and to start to take ownership so that you get a break. You know, all of these are, uh, are deliberate strategies and they can directly and concretely mitigate that decision fatigue. And in the long run, extend your ability as a leader to lead smartly through this prolonged crisis. How are we viewing the prolonged stress? How are we forecasting what might our security department look like a year from now? And how do leaders get a handle on that? That's, that's some real crystal ball stuff that uh, is going to require a lot new thinking, a new paradigm, really.
Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think we certainly know um, and, and we've had a lot of exposure to uh, what stress can do to individuals, particularly as they are working in, in an office setting or in any kind of workplace where, where they are interacting with others. Um, given the current in environment, which is stressful, again, for so many people, Leaders are asking this very question. They're wondering how it is they can care for the emotional needs of the workforce, especially as we start thinking about a transition back to the office. And I think, again, these concerns are very real as employees have been in lockdown status for weeks and many just aren't operating at pre-lockdown levels of mental wellness. In fact, we have some recent survey data that suggests that approximately 40% of the workforce has experienced a decline in mental health since the COVID outbreak. And that's pretty dramatic. Of course, this is, this is due to a variety of stressors, social isolation, financial concerns, uncertainty about the future, and fear of exposure to the virus are just a few. Other stressors might include recent loss or illness of a loved one. We've, we've seen rates of domestic violence increase and even substance abuse that might be exacerbated by the lockdown are contributing to an increasingly stressed workforce. And so we know that stress can trigger symptoms associated with depression that can lead to despair, functional impairment, and in some severe cases, even suicidality. Um, and unfortunately, when stress overwhelms an individual's coping skills, it can also lead to a variety of maladaptive behaviors in the workforce, such as difficulty concentrating, tardiness, irritability, and hostility, and then in some severe and more concerning situations, even the harboring of grievances, paranoia, harassment, and, and threats. So for our leaders, a vulnerable, stressed workforce is concerning for a variety of reasons. Um, but the good news is, I think we can educate our supervisors to recognize the signs of an employee in distress, we can also teach them how to de-escalate difficult encounters with employees in the workforce. We can teach active listening skills, which empowers those supervisors to best handle employees who are in crisis. And then in, in summary, Chuck, I think security leaders really just need to respond by recognizing that the workforce is facing a multitude of stressors. These are long-term stressors, and they need to have their staff prepared and empowered so they can identify those concerning behaviors and then respond in a way that is productive for everyone. If they cured COVID tomorrow, literally, and it vanished off the face of the earth, guess what? Irrelevant, we're still gonna have an impact long-term, I think, to our industry. Organizations and managers are gonna have to deal with this in a different way, and there's gonna be new demands placed on them in the upcoming months. How we're responding now is a tactic, but how are we gonna respond in the future? That's a strategy. And what, what should we be thinking about, or leaders be thinking about, as responses in upcoming months. So Chuck, this is definitely something at Control Risk that we've been thinking uh, a lot about. Uh, in the coming months, unfortunately, it seems very likely uh, that the organizational impact from the pandemic is, is only going to amplify, uh, and especially for leaders. I think probably the most tangible way that we'll see that manifest uh, and quite frankly, we're already seeing it, is uh, an increase in terminations, in mass layoffs, in uh, reductions of force or in closing of, of businesses uh, altogether. So you have leaders and employees who have now been in crisis mode essentially for three months. 
who have an unprecedented level of personal and professional stressors and now are faced with two you know, very powerful negative forces, just the uncertainty of the global economy and at the same time, the looming potential, the very real possibility of uh, cutbacks in the workforce, you know, that surprise announcement that if I'm an employee either working from home or if I'm part of the supply chain going in and risking my health and safety for the really the service of others and service of the economy. Now I have you know, looming over my head waiting for the other shoe to fall here of, of potential cutbacks. Uh, and, and really to a degree that at the beginning of 2020 was just unfathomable. So for leaders, right, as we start to anticipate and, and say, how are we going to prepare for mass reductions in force, uh, for uh, layoffs, you know, that's going to be part of the calculus in preparing. Uh, as Terry mentioned, having uh, a cadre of human resource professionals, of experts who not only have uh, good administrative skills to navigate the very complex landscape of a termination, but quite frankly, the de-escalation skills to make sure that these notifications are handled in the most compassionate manner possible becomes really essential for a leader. I believe we're going to come out of this positive. I'm a cautious, positive person, optimistic. It's going to be painful. We're going to have some growing pains, but I think we'll come out with a leaner, more efficient industry, more educated, certainly, with some additional skill sets we didn't have before. Terry, what are your thoughts? What are your closing thoughts on that? Where are we going to be three, four years from now? You know, Chuck, I agree. I think that we're going to get through this incredibly stressful time. We're going to, and we are already learning a lot in the process. We're learning a lot about how um, a crisis like this will test our workforce and also test our leaders. And we're also forced to learn how to take care of one another and, and how to care for the workforce in ways that perhaps we haven't thought about before. So I think out of that will come um, the benefit of learning some efficiencies, as you have pointed out. And I think we are also going to perhaps place focus on areas that in the past we have tended to minimize and, and not focus on because they always just kind of took care of themselves, um, security, for example. So I think um, it's going to be a slow and certainly arduous return, but I do think there will be some, some benefit through the learning process as we come out of it on the other side. Mr. Andre, what say you? I, I totally agree with what Terry said. I, I think, you know, unfortunately, the news and everything tends to focus on the, the negative parts of this, but there certainly are uh, some silver linings on this cloud. I think uh, company cohesiveness, you see people and organizations making a real effort to be connected. Uh, and I think those are, again, the types of uh, patterns and habits that hopefully will, will have some durability and sustain beyond the pandemic. Uh, you have, uh, I think resilience is going to be increased and amplified. Um, that old saying of smooth waters never made a skilled sailor really comes into play here. And so coming out of this uh, in the, the months ahead, uh, I too, like you, share that optimism that when we're through this, uh, businesses will be uh, more resilient, not just from an organizational and economic standpoint, but really from, a, I think, a humanity uh, perspective of having better compassion, more empathy, more caring for each other, 
and uh, and hopefully carrying that forward in our day-to-day lives. Andre Simmons, Terry Patterson, Control Risk Group. They walk the walk, they talk the talk. Some of the best in the biz. Thanks for your insightful conversation. I really learned a lot, as I know our listeners did. Thanks so much for coming on Security Management Highlights. Thanks very much, Chuck. Thanks for having us, Chuck.